Lasso. This morning we return to shamatha. We'll spend the first part of the session really in this shamatha mode of simply attending to, but without any particular investigation, attending to the space of the body, the tactile sensations that arise or emerge, these elements again, bearing in mind the Tibetan term element really doesn't say element at all, it says something in emergence, an emergence, the emergence of earth, water, and so forth. So we'll tend to, on the one hand, the emergence of these various sensations associated with the elements, but then also the, the, the coloration, the coloration of our experience of what is appearing to us. And by coloration, it means how are you experiencing it in terms of is it, are you experiencing it in a pleasant way, in an unpleasant way, a neutral way, independent upon that, then we say that was pleasant and that's unpleasant. It's really quite interesting, I think, how something is very much tied wholly into the subjective process. Then we just flip the finger out and say, you done it. You made me happy. You made me unhappy. You're pleasant. You're unpleasant. Quite interesting. Stupid, but interesting. So we'll observe both the appearances and the way that we experience those appearances. And it's quite interesting, a little parallel quickly. You remember I mentioned this zero-point energy of the electromagnetic vacuum. I spent a couple of years studying it. And I did the mathematics for it as well. Because the question is posed, if in empty space itself there is energy, that is the very energy of space itself and not something you add on to it, what's the density of that energy? How much, how much energy per cubic centimeter? And I did the equations. I mean, I didn't do fresh ones, but I followed those of great mathematicians, physicists before me. And uh, it turns out the energy density of empty space is infinite. And a physicist, especially an experimental physicist, says, well, that's very nice, but we, we can't do anything with that. We can't measure it. I mean, we don't have any system to measure infinite. Really big, yeah, but infinite, no. And so the theoretical physicists got in there, and they were aware of something, and that is setting aside general relativity theory in all other branches of physics, quantum mechanics and so forth, the amount of energy in a particular system is relative. It's not an absolute. So you just sem- you set that benchmark. And you say, okay, let's say it's this. And then, having set that, then you can say, okay, more energy, less energy. So what they did is they took those equations and they, they normalized them. Instead of infinite, they just said, okay, let's say it's zero. Or, no, let's say it's finite. And so you can have any of those three. Well, I mention that because, number one, I think it's interesting. Uh, and also this whole notion in quantum field theory that all configurations of mass energy. We're talking about galaxies, the whole universe, Uh, cell phones and so forth, that all configurations of mass energy are actually nothing other than configurations of, crystallizations of, the energy of empty space. Quite interesting. So might it be, I mean, looking for poetic metaphors or analogies, might it be that all of the sensations arising in the body are actually simply crystallizations of the energy of that space of the body itself, kind of congealing into earth, water, and so forth. Okay, it's a question. Maybe a kind of cool question. Then we shift over to the space of the mind. The space of the mind, again, not being not merely a vacuity, but a space, now poetically speaking, because I'm not speaking physics, but first-person experience of the mind, that space of the mind being saturated by a kind of energy, like in, in science fiction, the hollow deck, that it's empty and yet it, you've turned it on so it's ready to form into all kinds of forms. You know, Of course, it's science fiction. But holograms, holographic images, are not science fiction. So there you have your energy field, and then with lasers, then suddenly out of that space you have 
formation of forms, three-dimensional forms that you can look at from different sides. It's really quite beautiful. And so as we're tending to the space of the mind, then we may view all the appearances, all the events as crystallizations, formulations, configurations of that space of the mind. Those are the appearances. And now there's the way we experience those appearances. And that has to do with then feelings. Are you finding them pleasant, unpleasant, neutral? And so I mentioned yesterday, as, as Miles re- reminded us, that the, the first challenge in settling the mind in its natural state is to distinguish between stillness and motion. So this means getting the taste, getting, knowing for yourself in your own experience what's it like when your awareness is simply still and unattached, like, like a flame, like a, like a candle, unmoved by the wind. So if you look at the candle, you'll know when it's just straight up. And then you'll know when it's flickering, right? when it's mo- movement, and that means it's been caught by the breeze. So what's it like to have your awareness be like an unflickering flame, still, luminous, at the same time illuminating the comings and goings of the mind? So that's one distinction to be drawn. The stillness of your awareness, the movements of the mind. But then as Birgit pointed out yesterday, as we attend to the space of the mind, sometimes we see all the cockroaches, we see the images, the thoughts, and so forth and so on, But other times, as intently as we attend to the space of the mind, we just don't see any movement. We just don't see anything. So that's another thing to distinguish. When, as you're attending to the space of the mind, when do you detect at least relative stillness? When do you detect motion? So this is really, even in shamatha, it's discerning. It's not just kind of sitting there in a trance. Anything but. So stillness and motion within the field Stillness and motion of your own awareness. When is your awareness in motion? By way of grasping. When is it still? By way of releasing of grasping. And then a final point, and it's really an important one, in terms of feelings. Pleasant, pleasant, so positive, zero, and negative. Pleasant, neutral, and unpleasant. When we identify these feelings in the body and mind, are we identifying something that is self-defining? That is, when we observe, when we experience, when we note a neutral feeling, is that by nature just neutral, absolutely neutral? And if you get it any, if you perceive it in any other way, well, you're wrong. Is it that the case? And likewise, when you experience a pleasant feeling, is that absolutely pleasant? And likewise, unpleasant. Or, like energy in most systems of physics is its relative. Now remember this phrase from Shantideva, I'm sure you remember. <laughs> there is nothing that does not become easier through familiarization. Right? So if one's body is generally, for example, if one's body, some people have arthritis. I think the body never feels really great. If it's quite chronic, it's quite, you know, rheumatoid arthritis, I, I've never had. I think it must be very unpleasant. And so your body would never feel really good. But if you have that, or maybe a chronic injury, or my friend, injury to the spine, uh, morphine doesn't help, and so forth, or just generally ill health, and so forth. Do you set yourself a new benchmark? Say, how are you you today? Today I'm really doing quite okay. It's neutral. That is, I've had much worse, and of course I can remember having better. 
but this is, this is really an okay day. I feel pretty okay. I feel neutral. Whereas for another person, that might be just miserable. And for another person, who's getting tortured every day, in a, in a concentration camp, for example, they might say, oh man, how lucky you are. You've got only mild discomfort. Man, what a sweet day you're having. So interesting. On that point, remember, I think I mentioned, I can't remember, I've mentioned the point so often, for an ordinary sentient being, like, like me, you experience a mental affliction, like anger, craving, whatever. And when the, when the mental affliction comes up, it's kind of like a, a hair landing in the palm of the hand. Like, yeah, you notice, you kind of notice it. Oh, yeah, that's craving. Oh, yeah, that's anger. That's jealousy. Yeah, like that. Whereas if you're an Arya Bodhisattva, and you experience exactly the same mental affliction, they say, it's like that hair landing in your eye. It's kind of like it really catches your attention and you really can't bear it. I mean, there's nothing else to do. Get it out, get it out. Remember the, the story of Atisha when he was on the caravan and he would, a whole bunch of people traveling along from one place to Tibet and another, and he'd suddenly hop off his horse in the midst, you know, how many people with him? He calls the whole caravan to a halt, hops off his horse and he does a mandala offering. And people said, Atisha, what are you doing? We're trying to get to fear. Hey, what's up? And he said, I had a negative thought. I had to purify it. I don't know when I'm going to die. And I didn't want to keep, take that to my death. So I had to purify my thought before. So you just chill. Hang in there. I'm going to do my... That's how you purify thoughts, by the way. You rub your forehead. <laughs> I wish. So we, I think we feel pretty good. I know when I was in Dharmazala early days, heard about all this suffering. Three types of suffering, six types of suffering, eight types of suffering, samsara is an ocean of suffering. I thought, my part of samsara is really not bad. <laughs> I come from a really very nice family. I had my own car when I was, you know, back in California. It's pretty good. And India, not bad. I had a pretty good circumstance there. Got sick a lot, but, you know, whatever. But, you know, ocean of samsara, that's really tough for those other people. And those sentient beings, those other sentient beings. But in my little neck of the woods, we say in American, in my neck of woods, pretty okay. From the Buddhist perspective, they would be weeping buckets of tears for me. <laughs> They'd be looking upon me with such intense compassion. The poor guy is wallowing in a mire of suffering, and he's so dull he doesn't even know it. <laughs> so they'd be feeling intense compassion for me, where I'm saying, I'm fine, I'm fine. I really like Dharma. I'm really into Dharma. <laughs> so it may be relative, eh? It may be relative. Let's jump in and find out.
Settle your body, speech, and mind in their natural state.
Now for a little while, let your mindfulness illuminate the space of the body. And whatever tactile events emerge within that space, as well as the feelings that arise in your mode of experiencing the appearances within the body. Identify your affective baseline, that is, what's neutral, what's in the middle, that you would deem neither pleasant nor unpleasant, simply okay. Identify your baseline. And then carefully note fluctuations. The emergence of some pleasant feeling, unpleasant feeling. And in this shamatha practice, simply observe both the tactile sensations as well as the feelings, moment by moment, without distraction and without grasping. Letting your awareness remain still.
have something continuous to attend to. You may maintain a peripheral awareness of the rise and fall of the abdomen or simply the rhythm of the breath altogether. Now let your eyes be open, your gaze resting vacantly in the space in front of you, and turn the full force of your mindfulness to the space of the mind. Observe these fluctuations of that space in the form of thoughts and images, and also closely attend to your subjective way of experiencing what arises in the mind. in terms of pleasant, unpleasant, and neutral feelings. Again, note your baseline. Where is neutral? And then observe fluctuations away from that baseline. With introspection, note that your respiration continues to flow effortlessly without constraint, releasing fully with every out-breath all the way through to the end until the next breath flows in effortlessly.
It's only by way of a core sense of relaxation, of ease and looseness within the body and mind, that your awareness can hold its own ground, rest in its own place, without being moved by grasping. When your awareness is still, recognize that. And then note the distinction when your awareness is carried away by rumination, by wandering thought.
enjoy your day.